the Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast. Hey folks, Jason Bond back behind the mic in the podcast studio in Stoneville, Mississippi. Tom Allen's here with me, and we also have Eric Larson on the phone from Startwell. How are you, Eric? Hey, it's good to be here. Uh, we certainly appreciate you taking some time out of the day. I know we uh, are running a little bit later on the schedule than what we uh, talked about yesterday, so I apologize for that. had a little bit of technical difficulties this morning. And I'm still juggling a few things at home, which is interesting. Mr. Mom for the start of 2021 is a little baffling, but um, it's been interesting. It's been, de- been a good time. But you're on the road to recovery now, right? Yeah, absolutely. We, we, were, we were all clear for 25% weight, and 7 to 10 days after that, add another 25%. So my wife is moving around quite nicely on crutches, much better than she was seven weeks ago. Headed rapidly towards Zumba. Um, yes. Interestingly enough, the doctor basically gave her the clearance that she could do Zumba and said, hey, your knee will be fine. That surgical repair and all the plates and pins that we stuck in there will hold it together just fine. Uh, but your cardiovascular is probably going to be a little behind since you've been sitting on your rear for seven weeks. Eric, I know we talked to Trent recently and don't know when the last time we saw Trent is and don't know when the last time we saw you either so uh again it's good to speak with you but you have a daughter that didn't you tell me you have a daughter that's uh about to graduate yeah she's a senior in high school and obviously uh the covid situation is is uh played havoc i guess with her senior year but she's got a beauty pageant coming up this week and uh really looking forward to that so i'm gonna be there with my smiling face anyway hope she does well well, that's cool, man. I hope y'all really enjoy that. I hope she does well. So Eric's here today or on the phone with us today to to talk about corn. What else? And the way we've kind of been positioning these episodes, Eric, we, we've talked to Trent, and uh, we'll have Brian coming up in a few weeks to talk about cotton. But since we didn't do any meetings or have done very few meetings, I know we did the MACA meeting here just this week, but – didn't get an opportunity to really get out on the road like we ordinarily do and tell folks, you know, results from stuff that we did in 2020, projections, suggestions, you know, all the stuff that we would ordinarily talk about during the course of the winter meetings, whether it be our county meetings or the bigger meetings or even the regional meetings that we all go to. Just to start out, Eric, why don't you just give us a, a brief overview of how 2020 wrapped up? And then we'll, you know, jump in and start talking about things to consider for the 2021 crop. Okay. Well, the, the 2020 corn crop wrapped up fairly well. It certainly didn't start very easy. We had an extremely wet conditions and um, the planting opportunities during the, during the 2020 growing season were more constricted than any time I can ever remember over the course of my career over the last 25 years. So there was a lot of corn planting intentions that were abandoned. Um, We didn't really experience the the sand issues that we have had in recent years, Um, but we certainly reduced the corn acreage relative to the wet conditions that we had throughout the months of March and April last year. One of the most unique things, I guess, that, that I saw last year uh, particularly related to a couple of our high yields, was that the 
National Corn Growers Association Yield Contest. State winner this year was a 294 bushel maker crop that was produced in the Delta. And the interesting thing was that that corn was planted during the month of May. And not only was that high-yielding corn planted during the month of May, but of all the trial locations where we have our county corn trials or our corn hybrid demonstration program, our highest overall location yield with the corn hybrid demonstration program was also planted the first week of May. So from a, from a management standpoint and from a, you know, my reflection on that, obviously we know that corn responds well to early planting, but, um, we also need to know, I guess, that there are a lot of other things that go into comprehensively managing a corn crop and are cr critical for productivity. And the, the issue with corn is that although it is very responsive to early planting, it is also very sensitive to stand issues and a lot of other issues that develop during the planting season related to the wet conditions and the high rainfall that we're likely to have during the springtime. Eric, do you attribute the those yields, you know, a record yield in that one case? Have you pinpointed, you know, one or two or three things that may be responsible for that? Obviously, we're not going to start advocating planting corn in May, but we seem to, you know, in, in a lot of cases, seem to do a good job with it in 2020. So what was unique about 2020? The uh – temperatures during the summer, particularly the nighttime temperatures during the summer, are always um, a big player in, in how the yields overall turn out, um, and the, the temperatures are generally going to increase the later we get. You know, if we plant later, that's the reason why later planted corn is typically going to yield less. Um, so there was nothing really working in favor of the corn crop last year that was planted in May as far as environmental conditions during the season. But the fact that the corn came out of the ground great, quickly, um, had very uniform emergence, had excellent conditions for seedling establishment were, were key, I think, in this scenario. And, and again, we're not trying to downplay the importance of early planting, but we also need to realize that in order for corn to achieve its full potential, we'd like to have a uniform emergence of that crop, uniform plant distribution, and, and other things that, that are difficult to achieve when we're planting corn in cool, wet soils. The other thing that I'll add that um, was unique about those two fields is that the row width of both of those planting systems were 30-inch rows as opposed to wider rows. And that also, I think, was a, a large factor that allowed those fields to produce higher yields last year. Could you elaborate on that, Eric? What are, you, what are your thoughts on 30s versus 38s? Our research and most of the research that's been done across the Corn Belt in the United States has shown that 30-inch rows are going to be about 8 to 10% more productive than wide rows. And, um, you know, obviously if we start doing the numbers on, you know, 200, 250, 300 bushel acre corn, that those, you know, 8 to 10% is going to add up a considerable amount of, 
of uh, enhanced yield potential. And corn can achieve that just through better plant spacing geometry. Um, you know, obviously, the, the big factor in Mississippi and the reluctance to swap to 30-inch rows has primarily been related to, um, you know, our cotton production systems and compatibility and, and, and how that plays into, uh, you know, our crop rotation systems. But certainly, narrow row spacing does produce some significant advantages in terms of corn productivity. But it can impact some other things because from where I sit as the plant pathologist, narrowing your row spacing decreases the amount of airflow through there. And my concern would be a farmer that might grow continuous corn or multiple years of corn on that. How, how would you, how would you factor that into the conversation, Eric? Well, anytime you improve your plant spacing geometry, you improve the elbow room associated with the plants. Remember, again, the corn is going to produce the same size stock, the same number of leaves, and be the same size regardless of what the spacing is around it, more or less. So when you improve that plant spacing geometry, you improve its ability to intercept light, you improve its ability to um, access water and nutrients in the soil profile by distributing the root system better through the soil profile as well. So all that adds up to enhanced yield potential that, you know, we commonly see in that 8 to 10% range. I mean, if you're talking about 10% on, I mean, 180 bushels, and you're talking about 10%, well, that gets you right at 200 bushels, which is kind of a, a nice, uh, you know, dividing line on, on corn yields. You know, that's kind of a, a target that a lot of people have. What's our average corn yield, Eric? Well, our state average corn yield has been around 180 bushels an acre the last several years. Um, you know, our, our better producers are obviously producing higher yields than that. Of course, yeah. Irrig- irrigated versus dry land yields differ considerably as well. You know, typically we'll see a, you know, somewhere between a 30 to as much as a 60 or 70 bushel an acre difference in yield potential between irrigated and dry land production systems. And the advantage for irrigated production systems is that that relieves that, that potential stress and allows us to produce a much more consistent yielding crop from year to year and budget that into our farm uh, budgets and programs. So, Eric, here we are the first week of March. How discouraged should corn planters be maybe that they're not already in the field planting some corn? Because you get down to the rolling fork area, and some of those farmers will historically plant corn the last week of February, first week of March. Do you really see that that's going to that's gonna impact our yield negatively for 2021 at this point? No, planting on the early side is not or, or early within the planting window. You know, the, let's just say the March planning window is not terribly critical. The, the growth of, of corn seedlings and corn in general is determined by heat unit accumulation. And I was actually in preparation for this program looking up some historical heat unit accumulation earlier this morning. And for a stoneable latitude, you don't accumulate 100 growing degree days historically until March the 29th. So 
it takes about 100 growing degree days just for corn to emerge from the soil. So whether you plant March the 1st or March the 20th, it's not going to make a lot of difference in terms of maturity of that corn crop because the heat unit accumulation, particularly during the first three weeks of March, is normally very low. So the impact associated with planting, say, the first week of March compared to the third week of March is relatively low in terms of the effect of that planting date on the overall maturity of the crop and when it's going to mature in, in late July. Eric, when Tom and I talked to Don a couple of weeks ago, maybe two or three weeks ago now, about seed treatments, <clears throat> a question that I posed to them was, you know, with rice, a lot of times you'll get rice in the ground early, you know, in the in this March window, and it'll be three weeks coming up. But you rarely see that with corn. And among the three of us, we didn't come up with a real compelling answer for that. So I guess kind of related to the discussion here, but kind of unrelated. What would be your answer for, you know, we, we plant corn, and most of the time, unless it's just unusually cold and wet, it tends to come on out of the ground within a, a week or so. And that is controlled by temperature. Obviously, being in the south, in corn, um, being able to tolerate and germinate at lower temperatures than some other crops, and, and having a big, large seed that has a lot of energy, it can normally... Uh, come out of the ground relatively quickly, but soil temperature does determine germination and the growth and the, and the overall health, you might say, of that seedling in, in, in coming out of the ground. If the soil temperature is less than 50 degrees, it's not going to germinate. It's just going to sit there, and then bad things are going to happen, though. So we got to realize that. If the soil temperature is 55 degrees or more, where I'd really like to see us uh, use that for a baseline for planting on the early side or the earliest planting date, the corn seed should be up within 10 to 14 days. Um, so we need to be cognizant of, of, the, of the, what the soil temperature is, particularly if, we, if things dry out and we're able to go to the field and potentially start planting as early as, say, March the 10th. But once we get into late March and particularly into April, Soil temperature is no longer a limiting factor for the most part uh, to corn emergence and establishment. The other factor, of course, that, that plays a large role in sand establishment and really the success of the sand is the uh, soil moisture. And a lot of areas of the country that you'll hear folks talking about, you know, deeper planting depths and what most other areas of the country deal with is somewhat dry conditions during planting season. And we deal with the exact polar opposite where soil saturation causes a lot of seedling mortality and stunning of those seedlings, particularly before the corn comes out of the ground. So a lot of the seedling emergence variability and the sand issues that we have are related to um, soil saturation. And that's why we grow a lot of our corn crop on raised beds and see a good response associated with, with um, you know, planting corn on, on tall raised beds. Hey, Eric, take us through, like, appropriate planting depth and what your thoughts are on 
uh, farmers getting out, dragging off some of those raised beds and how careful they should be about putting that seed in the right proper depth uh, for the best emergence. Yeah, we, we've had a graduate student working on a master's research program where part of his treatments are actually raised bed height as well as planting depth. And the taller the bed is, not only he, he's seeing a, a number of different things that are improved. Number one, the emergence rate is improved, as well as the sand quality. It's reducing the number of, of skips or seedling mortality that's occurring, and also reducing the number of late emerging or stunted plants that are emerging as well. So taller, taller bed height um, is, is important or desired. Um, so, you know, if you do need to run a do-all or a harrow across the field prior to planting, try to minimize the amount of soil that it's moving off the top of the beds because the taller the bed is, the more relief it's going to provide to rainfall events that occur after you run the planter through the field. Um, similarly, with planting depth, we're also seeing a, a significant response where a moderate planting depth, and, and I use the word moderate because we don't want to ever see corn less than an inch and a half deep. But when we, in our research program where we're seeding corn basically as deep as a planter can go, you know, up to three and a half inches or so, any increase in planting depth is causing more seedling mortality and again causing more emergence disparity in our stand than that corn seed that's seeded, you know, an inch and a half or an inch and three quarters deep. So there's really no reason in a mid-south environment where we have extremely wet conditions during planting season to seed corn much deeper than an inch and a half or an inch and three quarters. If we do, we're placing that seed into a cooler, wetter environment that's going to retard the development and likely the stand that we achieve with the, with the planting at a deeper depth. Eric, you mentioned wet soil, and one thing we see particularly on heavy textured soils on flat planted crops, and I'm thinking about rice in particular, we see that traffic pattern through the field. Sometimes that persists, you know, as the crop develops, and, and sometimes it doesn't, you know, and then there's all the full spectrum, you know, more pronounced in some areas and other. How does that affect corn? Well, it has a significant effect on corn. Um, obviously, when we're pushing things to try to get corn planted in that optimum time during the spring, the soils are normally wet, conducive to soil compaction when the planter and the tractor are going through the field. And that compacts the soil around the root system, which stunts the plants, stunts root development. Um, and uh, the plants that will grow out of that all season long, you'll notice those patterns every 12 rows through the fields all year long. Um, and uh, we've actually measured in some of our hybrid plots at least a 20 bushel acre difference between rows underneath the tractor as opposed to those on the wings of the tractor. And that's not in these cases where you can still see a two feet difference in plant height at the end of the year. Um, where that tire traffic compaction occurred. So it's a big detriment to our yield potential in corn, definitely. So on a 12-row 
space, you know, over the course of 12 rows, what would be the swing in yield from, say, the good rows to the bad rows? I think that you may see as much as a, you know, in a slight situation, probably 10 bushels an acre, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see as much as a 40 or 50 bushel an acre decline in yield underneath that tractor which is going to comprise up to, up to six of the 12 rows in a normal planting pattern. So when I look at, you know, the issues associated with planting season, and, and if there is one word that I could use to emphasize to use during the planting season, that would be patience. We, we know that corn is responsive to early planting, but it's also very sensitive to a lot of issues. So using patience during the planting season is a hard thing to do, but it can be really pay off in terms of your outcome. I think logistics works into corn planting probably as much as any of our other crops because of the planting window, and that's our first crop. How much corn do you think gets planted early, not so much for the yield potential of the early planting window, but the logistics of going ahead and getting some acres in the ground so when you know the weather changes on another farm you know how whatever's going on at that time that you can get on an acre that you can't get on today yeah um it definitely plays into the entire corn um planting and and the crop distribution that you see relative to to planting opportunities during march and early april all of our crops generally respond to early planting. So once we get into April where conditions are also beginning to become acceptable for soybeans and cotton and rice and all the other crops that we grow, um, growers are inherently going to move and gravitate towards those other crops that are well adapted to or certainly have the same desire to get those crops in the ground as well. So it's it's certainly an issue in, in corn deals with the brunt of that just because it's it's normally planted the first of all our crops during the spring. So one last question, Eric, as we kind of wrap up the last few minutes here. How important or where should farmers place the management of Italian ryegrass this year once we get into the field and start planting corn? We've dealt with Italian ryegrass and documented how competitive it is with corn for years. Um, it, it It's really a... a a weed species that is extremely competitive with corn uh, because of the time period of the year that it's it's growing rapidly and the corn is is trying to get established and and is not very competitive at all. Uh, But Jason can talk about the, you know, the management systems and relate to the uh, um, growing issues that we have with herbicide resistance with this, this very troublesome weed as it relates to corn production systems. We know that corn's a grass crop, Italian ryegrass is a grass, and grass-on-grass competition is worst-case scenario. And corn seems to be, uh, among the grass crops that we grow, primarily corn and rice, but then you can bring grain sorghum in, too, where where we have those acres. But very sensitive to the yield loss associated with competition from Italian ryegrass. In 2021, we seem to be in pretty good shape if you consider 
delta-wide and even statewide, and I haven't been outside the delta, I confess, much this winter to assess what's going on in the other parts of the state. But because of the fall we had in 2020 and decisions that were made then, if that was either late tillage or whether it was a burn-down application in the fall, we have set ourselves up much better in 21 than we have in 20 and 19 for sure and possibly 18 too. And most of that was out of our control. That was weather-related. The resistance issue definitely intensifying. We have populations that we cannot control with glyphosate nor clethodim now. I think a lot of that, well, we have populations that are resistant, but I also think we have populations that for whatever reason, a poor application gets made. And a a lot of times I think it's just because it's cold and wet and you're putting that herbicide into a suboptimal situation and we fail to control it. It's not necessarily resistant, but it It is for all practical purposes because it didn't die, right? And then you're down, in the case of corn with the early plant date, then you're down to it's time to put crop seed in the ground and we still got, you know, this grass weed that we know is super competitive. And so then you're down to using a paraquat application because all this aside, there's only two treatments that we have that will reliably control it after it's out of the ground, and that's clethodim and paraquat. You know, Eric, we, we really appreciate the time. It's great to talk to you. We hate that things have been really different last year, this year, for sure. Uh, And definitely, you know, wish your daughter the best this weekend in the beauty pageant. Hope you'll enjoy that as a dad because that's certainly memorable when you have somebody that's a senior in high school. I mean, that's that's a big deal, and it's even a bigger deal this year to just be encouraging with all that. Uh, You know, and as always, we thank our listeners. If you need something from us in the meantime, when you're listening to one of these come up with a question, feel free to track us down and and pose that to us. That's, That's why we're here. Thanks, Eric. Thank you all. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is produced by the Mississippi State University Extension Service.